Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Do you love unraveling a good old-fashioned whodunit? Oh honey, me too. I'm Alicia, armchair detective and host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Join me every Friday. We'll dive into a case that scratches your itch for true crime, dark history, and mystery. Streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. an absolutely true story and it's it's kind of ridiculous but it's I guess I would say the strangest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life I was 17 years old it was the day before Christmas Eve and I am working in a mall at the Orange Julius Dairy Queen it's an annoying time of year because the malls open later extended holiday hours Christmas music plays pretty much constantly and you don't get out at your normal time. It's much later because the mall's busier. People are coming in in droves doing their Christmas shopping, but it was almost closing time and I had literally just put almost everything away. And I see somebody come out of a door that's between the buckle and the lady footlocker. And of course this is the nineties. So we have those stores. Now this was the employee door. Only employees go in and out of this door. They take their trash, move their inventory, that kind of stuff. But the man that's walking out of the door is young and I look because I was a horny teenager and he looked really handsome. He was tall and he had kind of like just past shoulder length like red coppery like auburn hair. But what struck me is he was wearing a three-piece brown suit and it was the ugliest suit I've ever seen. <laughs> looked like he's like fished it out of his grandpa's closet. It didn't fit him. He was really slender and he wasn't wearing shoes and y'all it is December. There was snow on the ground at this time and ice. So he walks up to the counter and he goes, oh, it's you. And I was like, what the fuck? And I'm looking at him and now up close, I don't think he's hot anymore. I mean, he is hot, but he's kind of freaking me out. He has an uncanny valleyness about him. His skin is too smooth. His eyes are like copper pennies. They're really bright and they're a weird color. So I thought contacts or something. I thought he was like LARPing. Maybe he was playing Vampire the Masquerade or something. And he was drumming his hand on the counter. Oh. And he had the most beautiful, like, shiny nails. But this is the 90s. No one was metrosexual back then. Right. No Dudes didn't do this to their nails. So I couldn't help but look. And he was creeping me out because he was just staring. And he wasn't staring in a nice way or in a flirty way. He was like, ew, like he'd stepped on a slug without his shoes on. And I was like, can I help you? I mean, it's almost closing time. And he's like, oh, I'm not drinking any of this. It's disgusting. And I was like, okay, well, this is what we have. So goodbye. And he takes out a pocket watch, which is weird because who has those except old people? That's what my 17-year-old brain thought. And then he snaps it shut and he just kind of leans over and he gives me this slimy smile. And I'm like, okay. I was like, if you're not going to buy anything, you need to leave. And he just stood there. And I was like, hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to call security. He's like, yeah, why don't you do that? I want you to call security and you better make sure 
that he follows you to your car. And then I went from sassy to like terrified. I like felt the cold sweat. I wanted him to leave. I was like, I'm going to be true crimed. And so I was very scared and I got on the phone and when I turn around, he is walking back and disappears through that door. Not like a normal person. So I call security and the the rent-a-cop shows up and he was like, what's the problem? And I explained it to him and he was like, and so I close up, he waits for me, he walks me to my car Now, we are in the employee parking lot, and it is scary. There is one streetlight, it flickers, it's dark, it's not paved very well. It is very, you're walking like a huge across the whole mall parking lot to get this little tiny parking lot. I can see my car there, and as we get closer, three people step out from behind my car, and they're all in dark clothes and like like hoodies and stuff. And one of them has a baseball bat. And the rent-a-cop shines his flashlight and they scatter like cockroaches when you turn the light on. Mm-hmm. So malevolent, scary, handsome man saved my life. I never knew who he was. I never saw him again. And it has to be one of the weirdest experiences in my entire life. The only time I saw, I'm, let me say, I am a skeptic of anything supernatural. Um, when I, I love spooky stuff and I actually seek it out to this day, even though I don't think it's there. I'm always like, what if it is? And the one time that I saw something that I, I, I can't explain it any way besides supernaturally. Um, I was 17 um, and I was driving home from a concert with a friend of mine and we were driving down not not some sort of spooky back road it was on uh, like a four-lane highway not not anything huge but nothing like in the middle of nowhere um, it was like four o'clock in the morning we were coming back again from a concert so it was very late um and as we're driving we're passing this sort of uh trailer park um on the right i'll I'll never forget this like i can see it in my head we're driving past this trailer park and what i saw was a man about 35-ish years old um, wearing a bathrobe he walks out um, into the road and then he bends down like he's picking something up and then he looks towards us and then disappears not some sort of misty apparition this was a blue hued three dimensional man with features that we could see wearing specific clothing and I was like what just happened and I looked at my friend and I said before I say anything 
I need you to tell me if, you know, what you just saw, because she was also, like, freaking out. She described to me exactly the same thing that I just saw, but I will never forget. I I could see this man, like, I knew that it wasn't a person, because it was it was blue and translucent but unmistakably a human person um i did look it up and did find out that a man did get killed on that road um so whether i saw that man or not i still don't believe in like uh intelligent ghosts uh but i do think that you know if somebody does something over and over and over again and then they get killed like their energy is still there because i can't explain it any other way um besides that was this person's energy and I always think that what I saw was this guy reaching down to get something, whether it was a newspaper or he was trying, you know, to pick something up and he got hit by a car. I I don't have any other explanation for it. I wish I did, but I don't. And that is the creepiest thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) My campfire story uh, is about the hamburger man for probably nine months um, and it was absolutely long enough I worked at we'll just call it a schmotel schmix um, that was right off the expressway and it was one of those catch-all places that got all of the weirdos and all of the creepy people and not in a good way Um, and I was brand new there and one day this guy came to check in with this huge husky Um, it was like four dogs in one it was gigantic and we were pet friendly so uh i give the guy his keys and whenever he checks in he goes up to his room and like a half hour later he comes down he's wearing a bathrobe this is probably like the scariest part of this entire story he's wearing this bathrobe that's like super see-through it's not one of our bathrobes because we were in like a low key motel like kind of crappy so we didn't give them bathrobes Um, but he found it somewhere and it was like completely see-through and dude is like totally naked underneath this, this freaking bathroom. So he's standing in the lobby. He asked me for an iron and a towel. I say, okay, I give him an iron and a towel. He's going to make taquitos. He's going to soak the towel and then he's going to put it over the iron that is going to be on and he's going to make taquitos on that. I don't know how this is going to happen. It sounds like some crazy college ship, whatever. So he takes that and he goes back up to his room. The next day, he gets up at like, I think I saw him around 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, He comes down, he re-ups for another night because they had to do that on the daily. And he says he's going to go and take his dog for a walk. And he's wearing the bathrobe again. And it's like February in Wisconsin. So he's in the bathrobe again. He's out, he's walking his dog through the parking lot. And I watch him disappear around the back of a building that's next door. It was like a restaurant. And a little while later, I hear sirens and a lot of commotion. And I see them 
heading down through the parking lot towards the, the other side, the back of that other building. And so 20, 30 minutes go by and all of a sudden I look up and the guy who I had checked in um, is standing in front of me and his face looks like raw hamburger. Um, he has overdosed on heroin, taken his dog for a walk, went down behind the restaurant, face planted into the ground, just solidly into the pavement, um, and died, was legally dead. Um, the police came and gave him a shot of adrenaline, so they revived him, brought him back to life, and then they marched his half-naked ass up to the desk to tell me that he was going to stay another night. To which I said, absolutely not. And they had to take him to a treatment facility immediately. So it's 2002. San Antonio, Texas. And me and my friends used to love trespassing. I've had, I had several trespassing citations as a teenager, which all disappeared as soon as I came of age. And... Didn't have any trespassing after 21, but I did plenty between the ages of 14 and 18. And we used to like to go to different, we used to go to graveyards. Uh, it's, I guess, what you would call urban exploring nowadays. And we used to like to go to vacated buildings and at night, you know, it's like 1 a.m. and we used to break in and find these different places. So I'm at school, at high school. Burbank High School, shout out Bulldogs, Bulldogs. And <laughs> my friend says, Hey, I just found this mental facility. It was like a, it was a mental health facility for foster children. It's vacated, it closed in the 80s, and it's just been sitting there. And we hear it's haunted. We should go check it out. And of course, I get. I'm excited. I can't wait to check that out. And so we find you know, the next weekend on a Saturday, we all get together, jump in my friend's Explorer, and drive out to the mental health facility. It's late at night. It's in the southeast side of San Antonio, which, by the way, San Antonio has a history of hauntings. Uh, there's a lot of Native American uh, history here and uh, Spanish settlers and a lot of, of course, like any other major city, a lot of murder, a lot of horrible things. And so we all grew up seeing stuff or hearing about hauntings. And I think that's what always made us want to find something. We wanted to find, we really just wanted something to freak us out because we, we, we were around it and we were so comfortable with it that we were willing to break into these places and see if we could discover something. So we get to the mental health facility we jump the fence it's a humid wet it's about 80 degrees and just humid as hell don't ever move to san antonio if you are you know prone to rashes because it is the the weather is nuts is unforgiving and we jump the fence we get toward the facility we can't get in there's not a way in until i work my way around the side of the building and I found a basement window. And I tell the guys, let's break this window. This is the best way in. We prepare to break it. We get some, we get a, my friend had a towel in the back of his Explorer. We're about to punch it through until we see some lights coming through. And my friend says, that's a cop car. 
we rush our way out of the fence because we knew if the cop didn't see us in the fence, like in the, the facility property, he couldn't do anything. So we get to the car before the cop car can get there and he can spot us. He comes up to the car, tries to scare us, talks a bunch of stuff to us. And he, and he goes, were y'all in that, were y'all in that property? And we're like, no, no officer, we weren't on that property. He's like, and, and that's why all your shoes and your pants are wet. Cause like our jeans, all jeans on the bottom, wet from the grass. The grass is tall there. It's, it's vacated. No one's taking care of the property. And we're like, no, we stood against the fence and that's how we got, that's, that's how that happened. And he's like, okay, sure, whatever. Well, don't ever come back here again. And we're like, okay. Of course we went back the next week because we were teenagers and did not give a shit. We go back the next week, and I don't know why I had a sick feeling in my stomach about this time. I just felt like we're going to get inside, and there's just something about this. I don't know if it was the cop getting mixed in with it. I just was worried. But we did it anyway. It's me, my friend Felix, my friend Rocky, and these two other cats that I can't remember their names because it's been that long. And we head back to the facility, parked by the fence, jump the fence again, head toward that basement window, break it in. We go down that basement window. There, we see a bunch of cradles. This is where I guess they held the children, like little kids at some point. It was very weird and very creepy. It's dark as hell. We have flashlights and we're just kind of shining them around, trying to see if we can see anything. And there's just a bunch of cradles and stuff. We work our way up the stairs. And we eventually get down a hallway, work our way down the hallway. It's incredibly creepy in there. We go into the cafeteria that was for the kids there. The cafeteria is big. It's vast. It's echoey. Things are hanging off. You keep hearing little dings and clags and clocks and bangs. And it's just a lot of different sounds going off. But, you know, we're, we're telling ourselves, ah, it's an old building. It's, it's just part of the history. It's not something that we're hearing. We didn't hear any footsteps. We didn't hear any voices or anything like that. So we felt confident that this was just kind of a cool experience to see inside this old building. We exit the cafeteria and we start working our way down the hallway, the same hallway that the cafeteria was in. We keep working our way down and we see a bundle of cloth. It's just like a bundle of stuff. It looks like kind of sleeping bag shit you know just puffy cloth and it's just piled in the middle of the hallway and we're like what the hell what's going on there then all of a sudden we see a body rise kind of like the undertaker when he would pretend he was gone like he was like defeated but then he would just rise from like the waist up like boom that's what this person did and we saw it from a distance we were probably maybe about 10 15 feet away he turns and looks at us and he just screams for us to get the fuck out. He goes, get out, get out of here. Like he's yelling at us. So it's a squatter. And it's, 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 that's what's crazy is you, you're going to these places thinking, oh, I want to see ghosts. I want to see some spirits. I want to see something paranormal. But you forget about the human factor of these vacated places and the people that are willing to live in these places are willing to do a lot of things to protect their property as they consider it 
So he chased us down. He gets out of his sleeping bag and he starts chasing us. And we're going down the hallway as he screams. He has a knife. We get back down to the basement because that's the only way we can get back out of the property. And we're helping our friends out. We're helping everyone out because it's a little bit high. It's a, it's a little bit of a reach. And so we have to prop everyone up. And my friend Felix is the last one out. And he's having to jump into the window to get out. And the homeless person bites him on his leg. He kicks him off. And he puts an elbow right to his temple. Because I was reaching in to grab him to pull him up so I could see everything happening. And he, he elbows him in his temple and the guy knocks out. And I helped my friend Felix out. And we ran out, got out of the property, got into our car. None of us talked for about three minutes straight. We were all terrified, freaked the fuck out. And then eventually we're like, what the fuck was that? What happened? Like, what is going on? And we made sure that my friend didn't get rabies because he got bit by a hobo. And, uh, you know, a homelessness is a big issue in a lot of major cities. It's difficult. Um, it's a difficult situation. It's unfortunate that this man who probably should be in an actual mental health facility and he's in a vacant one is in there. But it was terrifying for teens. You know, it was something we weren't as used to. And it made... It made us realize that we need to be way more careful about where we're going and what we're doing, you know, as kids. And it was a terrifying situation to be in, uh, but I think we all kind of learned a little something from it. And to that person that bit Felix and got knocked the hell out by his elbow, I hope you're doing better, man. Hope you're doing okay. Okay, so this is an old school, like, Ozark like traditional type story. So in between the mountains, we don't have valleys, we have haulers, right? Haulers, they're called haulers because the name, basically your land would be the ridge. And so each ridge would be somebody else's land, right? From hauler to hauler. And you would holler across the ridge from to your neighbor if they needed anything or if bad weather was coming or anything like that, that's how you, and the, the valley would take your echo. And uh, so anyway, there's these two neighbors. There's a family on one ridge, a family on another, and a hauler in between. And um, one night, there's the farmer, he has his wife, um, and it's just him and his wife there. And uh, he, he realized that something's been getting in his hen house. And he's like, well, I gotta stop this beast getting in my hen house all the time. And so he, it was night after night, something just kept getting in that hen house and, and killing all his chickens. So he, he decides that he's gonna get his shotgun and stay up all night in the hen house waiting for whatever it is that's getting after his chickens. And so he, he goes in the hen house, he makes himself a little pallet on the floor, he gets a shotgun and he waits and he waits and he waits and he finally, he starts drifting to sleep. You know, he can't really stay up. And so as he's falling asleep, all of a sudden, the door slams wide open. And it's pitch dark outside, but he can see the outline of this huge mountain lion. And we have them out here. I've seen one. They, like, they're huge, huge big cats. And so he sees this big mountain lion, and 
obviously this is what's getting his chickens. So he points his shotgun and as he points the shotgun, the mountain lion rears up and the shotgun blast takes off one of its paws. So it's wounded, but not too bad. And the big cat just begins wailing and screaming and in agony and limps and runs off. The paw is still there on the ground. And um, the, 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 the farmer takes the paw and he decides to, for some reason he decides to put it underneath his bed. I'm not really sure exactly why he puts it underneath his bed. Um, I don't know if it's because he thinks his wife is going to be scared by this or what, or if he wants to hide it to show it to somebody else. Either way, he puts it underneath his bed. And um, the next morning, he realizes that his wife isn't in bed next to him. And she's like, he's like, okay, what's going on? And he sees blood in the front yard. And he's like, oh my goodness there's like a trail of blood. So he starts hollering for the neighbor across the holler. The neighbor across the holler comes over and he says, look, something's wrong with my wife. I don't know where she is. There's a trail of blood, like you gotta help me. And back in the day, um, men couldn't look after women's bodies, you know, unless they were doctors. So he called his wife over because women took care of other women's bodies, that kind of thing. So anyways, the two men start searching the woods. The woman is found. And so the wife comes up to the woman and as she's dying, she pulls her arm up and she's missing an arm. She's missing the hand off of her arm and she's bled out from it. And she couldn't really speak. She kind of just died right there in the woman's arms. And the husband kind of freaks out and he's like, wait, She's missing an arm. He goes and he looks underneath the bed. The panther's claw is now a woman's arm. Come to find out his wife was a shape-shifting witch. And this is an old story that they would tell children, um, an old folklore story that they would tell the children to beware of witches because they may seem like really beautiful women, but at night they turn into monsters and they'll devour you. And um, yeah, just a really fucking crazy story that is like an old campfire story that they used to tell us kids all the time. <laughs>